Welcome back, everyone. I'm Nicole. And I'm Crystal. You're listening to Las Brujas and Friends podcast. A podcast where we talk about legends and paranormal stories, sprinkled with true crime, extraterrestrial, and the like. A little disclaimer, we're not professionals, we're not historians, we just love everything scary. If you haven't already, which you should have, subscribe to and review this podcast. So in today's episode... We mentioned last week when I was covering Alcatraz that we should do mobsters, gangsters. Click. (laughs) And that is what we're doing today. Yes. So I am going to be talking about somebody I wanted to talk about in the last podcast because he was a famous inmate in Alcatraz. And that is Mr. Al Scarface Capone. And for me, I'm going to be talking about Charles, a.k.a. Lucky, or Lucky, Luciano. Luciano. Mm Mm-hmm. And do you want to go first? Or am I going first? You can go first. Me? Yeah. Really? Okay. (laughs) I always start from the beginning. We always start from the beginning, both of us. Let's just start from scratch. Here we go. He was born on January 17th, 1899. That feels like so long ago. Yeah, mine too. 1899. I was like, oh, that was, yeah. That was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was still at the beginning. Yes. <laughs> you were literally introducing Al Pacino. Not Pacino. That's the actor. Oh. <laughs> it's Al Capone. That's what I meant. <laughs> okay. He was, oh, that's right. Okay. We talked about where he, what year he was born. 1899. He was born in Brooklyn, New York. And he was one of the most famous American gangsters that aided in organizing crime in Chicago from 1925 to 1931. His parents immigrated to the United States from Italy. Sicily? No, Naples. Ooh. And he was one of eight children. And a lot of people may have the impression, if they don't know the backstory, that he came from nothing and made himself into something. Most immigrants came that way to America. But his parents were very educated, and they were all, like, fine. Hmm. So nobody knows why Al Capone ended up being the way he was, but I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. Because they were like, he came from a good family. And then I'm going to talk about a little detail later about his brother, which is kind of interesting, but we'll get we'll get there. So Capone went to school until he was only about 14 years old. He dropped out after he got expelled for hitting a female teacher. He held a few different jobs from being a candy store clerk to a pin boy. Yeah, pin boy at a bowling alley. I know that is. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Do they chase the pins? They pick them up if it's broken, yeah. Or if they get stuck? Yep. Okay. They're the ones that walk down the aisle. (laughs) They walk down the aisle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, so... That was that was when he was 14, and around that same age, he was part of a few gangs, and they were kid gangs. Kid gangs. Yes. Quote, unquote, kid gangs. During that time, yes. So is this still in Italy? In New York. No, no, no. He was born in New York. Okay. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he probably had siblings that were born in Italy, and they immigrated with the parents, but he was born in New York, Brooklyn. Okay. So the reason why I say kid gangs specifically is because since I guess they were kid gangs, he was a part of two different gangs at the same time, and then later three gangs. The first one was the South Brooklyn Rippers, and the other one was 40 Thieves Juniors. Wow. (laughs) Those are some random names. Mm -hmm. 
These gangs were known for vandalism and petty crime in New York. The most important part about this is the last gang he was a part of. It was called the James Street Boys Gang, and that was run by Johnny Torrio, which is another mobster. There's... Every time I introduce somebody, it's just like, and another gangster, and another mobster, and another yeah, hitman. Yeah, like a, a family tree. It's, an, it's insane. Yeah. The 1900s, mm-hmm. early 1900s was insane. He, so he, Johnny Torrio, he was the leader of the James Street Boys gang. That's so hard to say all at once. Mm-hmm. James Street Boys gang. And he allied his gang with the Five Points gang, was one of the biggest gangs in... New York. Remember that. Oh, yeah. We're going to overlap so much. Yep. We didn't do our notes together. So you're probably going to hear doubles of it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) He would eventually end up being, this is Torio, Johnny. He would eventually end up being one of the top crime bosses in Chicago. Don't want to get too much info in on him just in case we continue this little series of mobsters. So that's, um, I might say a little bit more later, but that's pretty much it about Torio. Yeah. Just, oh, so just know that he was the top dog, the most dangerous, and he would eventually end up being Capone's mentor, Mr. Johnny Torio. So Capone, around age 16, he joined the Five Points gang and got a job serving another mobster, Frankie Yale. And he would work at Yale's bar slash nightclub as a bartender or bouncer whenever we say bar restaurant well maybe not restaurant but bar or nightclub it was actually a brothel yeah yeah they were all running brothels remember that and this one was called the harvard inn and that's where capone was working and i'm gonna get into the scar left side he has scars on his left side where do those scars come from Mm. (laughs) so He actually never really told anybody the truth about how he got the scars. Like, if anybody ever asked him, he didn't just straight up say how he got them because it wasn't the most noble. Like, it wasn't a brawl that he fought or anything. So what happened was he was working at this bar and he was working as a doorman at the Harvard Inn. And this woman came in. I think her name was Lena. I can't even remember what her last name was. Mm -hmm. But so... He took a liking to her and he tried to hit on her and she said, no, thank you. Maybe not no, thank you, but she said no. And he continued to pursue her because Capone was one of those people, mobster, gangsters that didn't take no for an answer. If he wanted something, he was going to get what he wanted, right? Mm -hmm. Eventually, I think he started to get a little annoyed with her or maybe he was just trying to shoot a shot and he complimented her something about her body. And Lena's brother stepped in. His name was Frankie. He stepped in and pretty much was defending his sister. And then him and Capone got into it kind of not really physically yet because Frankie ended up pulling a knife out and just sliced him on his face. And then Yale, Frankie Yale, (laughs) different Frankie, we'll go by last name. Yale didn't want it to escalate in his bar. So he pulled um, them apart pretty much. They pulled him apart so it didn't escalate. Mm -hmm. But either way, He has, I think, three scars on his neck and, like, three on his face and three above his eyebrow. And that's how he got his name, Scarface. Okay. And then there was another nickname that I read that his closer circle of people called him. And it's called (laughs) – and they called him Snorky. Snorky. S-N-O-R-K-Y. 
Snorky. Why? Snorky. So back in the day in Chicago, the word was a gang slang for a sharp dresser. And Capone loved expensive imported Italian suits. He would spend around $500 on suits, which is in today's dollars, $7,000. He would have suits imported to him. Wow. And snorky. So that's what his close circle friends called him. And then, of course, it makes sense that they would call him something like that because every time we see Al Capone portrayed anywhere, he is dressed very sharply. Yes. I mean, they always portray mobsters or gangsters dressed that way, but like Capone actually did. And even in most of the photos that I researched, they're all dressed similar, very similar. They had either the same hat or the same jacket and they were just all dressed very Snazzy. Very snazzy. Mm -hmm. They were bosses. That's why. So even before Capone was 21 years old, he had already gotten into so much serious crime. He shot someone to death over a craps game, and he shot them because he lost. (laughs) So he was not a good team player. (laughs) Not even a team player, a good sport. He got away with this murder because there was no witnesses of the murder, and the cops didn't even bother pursuing so he got complete, like scot free from that one. Didn't even get linked to it or anything. He brutally assaulted a rival gang, leaving him for dead. The rival gang was the White Hand Gang, and they wanted payback, right? Because he killed one of their, well, almost killed one of their people. But before anything could happen, Yale sent Capone to Chicago to work for Torio, and we come back full circle to Torio. So Chicago had a leader already, though, because it's not like. This was at the beginning of gangster times. This was already going on. And Chicago had a leader. His name was James Colosimo. This guy ran a chain of brothels. And he actually asked Johnny Tor- Johnny Torrio, right? Johnny? Johnny to come to Chicago to help him run his chain of brothels. So mm-hmm. Johnny went and he worked for Colosimo for about 11 years until Torrio or until Yale Capone ended up in Chicago working for Torrio. Okay. And he was only there maybe a year, maybe less than a year, whatever it was. And all of a sudden, the leader of the gangs in Chicago, Mr. James Colosimo, ends up being murdered. And it's either Torrio or Capone. And a lot of people think it was Capone because it happened right when he came. And then Johnny Torrio took over and he's now the leader of Chicago. Ooh. So that's how Capone started to become somebody Killed his empire. Yeah, pretty much. Like, that was his step in. He killed the leader of a gang in Chicago, got away with it, and and then we continue on. (laughs) We continue on with the story. Um, Prohibition. So, early 1900s, Prohibition was in the 1920s, and it went through all the way until 1933. Capone was helping run the bar that they he helped Torrio run was called the Four Deuces. While he was working there, he was involved in prostitution rings, bootlegging, which bootlegging does not mean DVDs. No. <laughs> it does not mean DVDs at all. So, bootlegging means, this is Prohibition time, so mm-hmm. bootlegging meant, um, like, not... What is it called? Like selling illegal alcohol. That was what bootlegging was referred area. to. Yeah. It was era. Um, era. era. <laughs> <laughs> it was bootlegging alcohol and drugs. That's what they were bootlegging, mm-hmm. not DVDs mm-hmm. of movies. <laughs> okay. Um, he was also helping run gambling houses and he was also involved with more murder while he was in Chicago. 
Here's an interesting fact. So this is where I was talking about his brother. One of his brothers was actually a prohibition enforcer. So they were working on two different teams. Yeah. And I didn't dig too deep into this because we're talking about Al Capone, not his brother. Yeah. But apparently his brother, from what I remember, ended up asking like Capone for money eventually. And it's like, what? You're like his rival. (laughs) But I don't know. While he was involved in all of these different things, he was making bank. Yeah. Obviously, his expensive suits, but he also had this insane customized car. Mm-hmm. I didn't see who has the car, though. I'm sure the car is still around. So he bought a 1928 Cadillac V8 Town sedan. He had it reinforced with armor plating, hmm. 3,000 pounds of steel plates, and bulletproof glass windows were on this car. The car also had holes cut in the rear and the side of the car where his henchmen could shoot out without being exposed to harm. Wow. It was a crazy car that he had customized. He was a boss. Like, he was a mobster. To have a car made that way, like, you knew he had enemies that he was trying to keep himself safe from. Apparently, Capone and other mobsters. You're not going to believe this. I'm going to pause you right there. That car is located in Prim, Nevada. It's here? Yes. That's interesting. Uploading soon. (laughs) So... I guess just like many folk, they like to play golf. Yeah. The, all these gangsters really like to play golf with each other, and they drank heavily like most golfers do. <laughs> I know every yeah. time I've gone out there, I'm like, yeah, cocktail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what they also did was they carried guns in their golf bags. What? One day in September. That's definitely something you can hide for sure. Right, in a big golf bag? Yeah. yeah. September 1928. He was out golfing, and while he was searching for something in his golf bag, he accidentally grabbed his revolver, and it went off, and he shot himself. No. He shot himself, and he had to be rushed to the hospital, and he was not even registered under Al Capone. He was registered under an alias, and people think he registered himself under an alias so that people didn't know that he shot himself. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But he shot himself. Capone was making so much money. Like, he was spending money like it was just nothing because he was making so much from all of these illegal things he was doing. Sources say that he was making around $100 million a year. That's 1920s money. If we convert it to today, he was making about $1.3 billion a year. Wow. He was rich. Some people might wonder how... These mobsters or Al Capone got away with so many crimes and so many murders and prostitution, like all these things. Well, he was known to spend millions of dollars a year bribing Chicago's police force. He had cops, like pretty much half, maybe more than half of the cops on his payroll. So, and he was untouchable. Yeah. Another reason why is that a lot of, he was a philanthropist. He wasn't just this hardcore gangster killing people, but he actually gave back to the city of Chicago. Really? People called him the modern day Robin Hood. He opened soup kitchens. He fed the poor doing that. He lobbied. Oh my gosh. So something really, really interesting is that he lobbied for milk to have expiration dates on them. Wow. Because he wanted to keep children safe. Isn't that interesting? And that's why milk has expiration dates. Hmm. Al Capone, maybe not like nationwide, but at least that time in Chicago, (laughs) they started printing expiration dates Mm -hmm. on the containers, on the gallon, the gallon of milk. That's crazy. Even though he was like the Robin Hood of Chicago, he, his 
believed to have ordered a hit on a well-known prosecutor, Billy McSwiggin. McSwiggin had tried to go after Capone by trying to pin him to a gang murder and bootlegging. But, hold on, I lost my place in my notes. (laughs) Oh, so he apparently killed him and he tried to hide. And he tried to hide from authorities for, I don't know, but he was trying, I don't know, he didn't want to get caught for killing McSwiggins. I guess he maybe he thought he left a trail. Mm-hmm. But soon after, he realized he couldn't hide forever from the police. He's Al Capone. He runs Chicago at this point. He ended up just turning himself in. Maybe he thought, I was like, I'll bribe my way out of this, right? Yeah. They, but they didn't have enough evidence to convict him for this murder, and he was just set free. But I think it was because he bribed himself out of it. Mm-hmm. But after this crime, he was known as one of the most powerful criminal gangsters in Chicago. In 1930, the city of Chicago named Capone as public enemy number one. Wow. Yeah, this guy went, he went quick. Like, he rose quickly for what he was doing. It was a very dangerous job. (laughs) One of the things that Capone is most known for is the Valentine's Day Massacre. He had a rival with another gang leader, George Bugs. Moran and Bugs ran a gang on the other side of town and they were Irish. So it was kind of like the Irish against the Italians yep. or the North versus the South. Yep. However you want to look at it. Capone didn't like him either way and he gave orders to have him assassinated along with whoever else is Came there. Away. It was just like anybody that's there that's not on our team, put him out. Mm-hmm. So his hitman that he had for this job created this whole plan to lure. Bugs's men into a trap. So this all went down February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1929. So the hitman pretty much set it up. I'm going to have them believe that I have a bunch of alcohol that they can buy for really, really cheap. And I'm going to bring them into like this warehouse or this garage, whatever it was. And then we're going to make it seem like it's a bust. We're going to make it seem like the cops are coming in and they're busting us. And the cops come in, but it's actually Capone's guys. Yeah. And they're actually wearing stolen police officer uniforms. Yeah. And they come in with their uniforms and they tell them, you know, hands on the wall, turn around. So they're all. Talk about acting. They're all. Yeah. Right. You should have seen all the videos I saw of the reenactments and all the movies that they have on Al Capone. So they have the guys facing the wall with their hands in the air. And what do you know? They pull out. Their guns, Tommy guns and shotguns, and they shoot over 70 rounds and kill seven gang members. Oh, wow. This received national attention, and five years after this crime, they finally had something to convict Capone. And it wasn't even for this murder. <laughs> it was tax evasion. Oh, my God. Right? Right. Of all things. Of all, Well, because he, he knew how to make sure it, nothing was going to be linked to him. Like, yeah. he knew how to maneuver his life around because all of these illegal things. Because of It could have been. He learned it all from Johnny. It could have just been. It, it's just instilled within him because, I did we mention it? That his parents came from, like, yeah. education. And he was the only one that went down this path. Wow. So, I don't know. Maybe it was just, like, what he was meant to do, <laughs> unfortunately, for Chicago in the 1920s. So the FBI, the IRS, and the Treasury Department, they were all spending hours. They were looking through, and this wasn't computers. 
It's not like uh, no, shift paperwork. F to find something. <laughs> yeah. They were spending hours through papers just looking at all of his records, trying to link link him to any anything illegal. Yeah. Anything illegal just to take him down. They finally found something. They found a check that he endorsed related to one of his gambling businesses. So they had a link. They had one little tiny link. <laughs> well, back then you had your ledgers and stuff like that too, so everybody kept records of everybody kept records. Yeah, on paper. Yep. So he was bound to get caught. find a receipt. Uh, right? You know, remember when people used to keep receipts in yes. in file folders? Yes. Oh man, do people still do that? Do you guys still do that? Does anybody do that? Do you do that? I don't do that. I immediately throw receipts away and then I immediately regret it because I'm like, I need to return this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't have a receipt. So during the trial for this tax evasion, <laughs> and of course they brought everything else and they brought in the murders, they brought in yeah, it was the prostitution a, rings. It was a little tear to their big bust. But Al Capone thought he was one step ahead. He bribed the jury. <gasps> He brought – the jury was ready to let him go again. Wow. But you know what happened? What? The judge swapped the jury <gasps> right before they were going to convict him. <laughs> or not convict him, but like charge him for anything. I guess the same thing. Wow. He swapped the jury. The jury that was bribed got up, left, and a new jury came in to then hear the case, <laughs> I guess. Unfortunately, at 32 years old – he was sentenced. Well, I don't know. Fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know. He was Dang, sentenced. They took his money and left. Yes, they did. Bye. I'm sure. I bet you people on that jury were so scared because they did take money. They were yeah. bribed and they didn't follow through with the job. I mean, that's the whole point, right? If you don't follow through with your job, then you're a target. Yep. That's that's what mob mentality, right? Mm -hmm. But at 32 years old, he got sentenced to 11 years and he was sent to a federal prison in Atlanta. But the prison couldn't control him because he is Al Capone and he has tons of money and he can get whatever he wants apparently in the 1900s with all oh, this money. So they didn't cease all of his assets? They probably did, but it's he had millions in cash everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> so um, it reminds me of that one show on uh, HBO, Narcos. Hmm. What's his name? I don't know. What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? I haven't watched it. You haven't seen Narcos? No. It's about a very famous drug... Oh, I can't remember. There's somebody yelling at me right now. Going, it's this guy. And I'm like, I know, but I can't hear you. <laughs> you died. Anyways, this other guy, the guy from Narcos, um, supposedly had buried like millions of dollars and people were looking for it. <gasps> I think it was in Colombia. They were digging up no. like his estate to see if they could find it because he buried money everywhere. Wow. Everywhere. I think Capone probably did the same thing, right? Smart. I guess. He got millions of dollars just hanging around. So in this prison, he basically called his own shots. His cell was carpeted. No. <laughs> yes, it was. He had furniture. He had his own radio. And he kept cash in his cell. That just be. How do yeah. you smuggle cash inside? He didn't smuggle it. He brought, he bribed everyone. He knew everybody had a price. One person, he could probably only pay $100 and maybe another person that took $10,000. Either way, Capone had the money and he gave it away. Like if it, this person was like, no, I'm not going to let you smuggle in your money. He was like, how about 10000 And that person was like, sure, no problem. I didn't see a thing. <laughs> Capone didn't care. He had money everywhere. Mm -hmm. Capone 
could get as far as he could among people around him that wasn't high authority. I mean, he had the FBI, the IRS, and the Treasury Department trying to bring him down, right? So people of higher authority, legal higher authority, didn't care if he had all the money in the world. They didn't care. And the way they wanted to solve this problem that he was having in Atlanta and Atlanta prison not being able to control him Mm -hmm. was they sent him to Alcatraz. And if you guys didn't listen to it, last week I talked about Alcatraz and how scary that place is. He got sent there in 1934 to his surprise when he got to Alcatraz because obviously he was in an Atlanta prison. First, he's like a mob boss, right? Gets whatever he wants. He goes to Atlanta prison, gets whatever he wants. He thought the same thing was going to happen in Alcatraz. Uh, to his surprise, it did not go down that You're way. On the island, bro. He was actually pretty low on the totem pole when it came to status. Really? Yeah. Like, people did not respect him at all. Wow. <laughs> he was, like, really down there. Well, he went from the East Coast mm-hmm. to the West Coast. Exactly. That's true. I didn't even think about that. While he was there, there was a pro uh, prison-wide protest. So all the prisoners were protesting for who knows what. You in prison. Right? Like, you're in prison. Well, I mean, last week when I talked about Alcatraz, it was pretty bad there. That was pretty bad, especially in the hole. Um, but he didn't want to partake in it. I think he was trying to be a goody two-shoes at this point. He didn't want to partake. And the inmates were like, no, you follow. And if you don't follow, then you have consequences. Dang. So two different inmates on two different occasions beat the crap out of Capone in Alcatraz. And he was, what, 32, you said? 30, around 32, yeah. Was it 32? Okay. Yeah. He was, he was, you know, like, nobody respected him the way they did on the outside. Mm-hmm. Something else that happened is he thought he – I don't know when if this was when he first got there or throughout his sentence. He tried to cut somebody in, in line at the prison barbershop. And, of course, you know what I'm going to say next is somebody – Cut him. Cut. They did. Half a pair of scissors they had. What's his name? Who was it? I don't know. I didn't write the person's name down. <laughs> Half a pair of scissors. It's just a shank. It's just a shank. That's what the description in my research. It's just the knife. <laughs> but yeah, they cut him up. They wow. sliced him up. Mm-hmm. And they said that he was trying to teach him a lesson on prison etiquette. <laughs> he served four and a half years at Alcatraz. He was eventually released from Alcatraz. And he was released because he was extremely sick. He was dying because he had a disease he had an std or what is it called now sti now now, yeah he had syphilis capone had contracted syphilis when he was only 18 years old and he never got treatment for it he just tried to ignore it and the thing about syphilis is that if it gets really bad it goes to your brain and that's exactly what happened to capone did someone else have syphilis there no he got this when he was 18 okay so he had this the whole time Wow. And it reached his brain. He, I guess, started getting treatment because around like his late 30s, early 40s, he finally like got diagnosed maybe. I don't know if he got diagnosed at 18, but he was getting treatment around this time while he was in prison. And they say it deteriorated his brain so much. He had the intellectual capacity of a seven-year-old. And he would just stare off or he would mumble to himself or he would talk to people that were not in the room. Well, that's because he was probably going loony. I think so, especially after Alcatraz. Yes. You guys listen to that episode of Alcatraz, you'll know how 
anybody, even a sane person will not come out of there sane. Yeah. It was really bad there. So he got released from Alcatraz, served the rest of his I don't he didn't even serve 11 years like nobody ever serves their full term. I think he served 8. And he got released by good behavior, good behavior, probably. But I think it's not like how it is today. I think today they're like, we don't care. You're going to die in prison. But Capone, they released him because they knew he was like dying. They knew he was on. And he did. He eventually died from complications of syphilis on January 25th, 1947. They say um, stateside. What do you mean stateside? Like he was in... He was home. Okay. He was home in... I don't know if he was home in Chicago or if he went back to Brooklyn. I didn't look that up. Might be good to look up. (laughs) Well, I ask because if he was originally from Italy, they usually go back. Well, he couldn't. I don't think he could at all because... But he was born here. He was still a criminal. Yeah. He was a felon. He was everything at this point. And he was only... The state was only giving him like $400 a month at this point because he was not able to work, obviously, Uh because of his sickness. I'm sure he had more than $400. He was married. His wife stayed with him the whole time. She was there to take care of him when he got released and he was really sick and... But yeah, that is a life, a very condensed snippet of Al Capone's life. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's it for me, guys. I hope you like it. And let's switch over to another gangster. So we're going to the mobster. This was a mobster that was originally born in Salvatore Luciana in Sicily, Italy. His name is Charles. Oh, so he's from Italy. Luciano, yes. He was born in November on the 24th in 1897. Was yours 1897 too? 1899. Okay, so they're very similar with age. Yeah. Very close. Okay, so parents immigrated from Sicily over to New York. And at the age of nine, he was enrolled into a PS school. I believe it was 31. Um... He skipped school and eventually migrated into a truant school because he wasn't doing so well and dropped out of school by 14. Crime started for him at the age of nine. Now, he didn't immediately start going by Lucky in the beginning. It was Charles or Charlie. Um, And what he did around school was he would pay the kids for protection. Oh, that is a gangster mentality. Yes, yes. The protection that he would have is, I mean, yes, he would beat the other kids up if you were going to be under attack. But if you didn't pay up, he beat you up. (laughs) So that mindset was already instilled into him. that young? Yes. And now at the age of 14, after him dropping out of school, he did have his only legitimate job, which was hat delivery. Hat delivery. Hat delivery earnings were $7 per week. In today's uh, time, it's only $109 per week. Still not the best. That's but still not bad for a hat kid. Hat delivery. For hat, yeah. And the mindset that he had, again, back then, at that time, you had to prove yourself as a kid. And him yeah. being an immigrant, not speaking fluent English was one of the reasons why he did not stay in school. He had to figure out his, um, what is it? live or be killed mindset that they have um it's like um oh my gosh what is it called you know the survival of the fittest yes (laughs) he would actually sell dope with his hat deliveries oh oh my god legitimate job paid him seven bucks an hour yes anything else that he did on the side 
for uh, gangs or whatever. Are people like born like this? Here you go. Yeah. Go sell some dope. Whoa. Yes. So um, we're going to fast forward a little bit. Um, people are either born like this or very naive. Yeah. <laughs> the adolescent age um lucky was actually found um because as he was delivering for a gang a dope a rival gang snatched him up oh shoot beat him and stabbed him he just like al capone did suffer scars though there was a scar on his chin okay mm. there's different stories that i've read that could be either from him in his adolescent age or later on as i go into a different story with him um, from a rival gang and trying to get at him as well. Now, he did already have a little bit of scar, so he wasn't the best of looking. Um, he had the smallpox scars on his Ooh, face. Oh, really? So he had that already. They already they cut him up on his chin, stabbed him, and left him on in Staten Island and left to die. Dang, yeah. Yeah. An officer happened to find him, and that's where Lucky was born. Oh, good. You got lucky. Left for yeah. dead. Police officer picked him up. So in his criminal career, he did join the Five Points Gang based in Manhattan, New York. The activities that were involved were um, pimping, illegal gambling, racketeering, robbery, extortion, all that fun stuff. Um, with the Five Points Gang, the main activities back then was to involve their uh, a little bit of pushing with the voters to sway oh, yeah. in the side of the Democratic Party. The person was... Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall, yeah. Yes. As a place. <laughs> so they would hold uh, voters at gunpoint to sway oh the vote that way. Yeah, God, that's not and that's like, not like a little sway. Gun to your head. There's your vote. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. So with this one, um, there was a lot of corruption in New York, and um, he made his first million dollars bootlegging in New York, very similar to Al Capone. Mind you, they're two years apart. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, some reports say he was very big in gambling, um, having gambling dens and brothels. He was also the founder of the National Crime Syndicate. The syndicate was from 1929 all the way to 1960. That's so weird. They yes. know how to cover themselves yeah. behind different things. And so for him, Lucky, he was more of the crime organizer. He wanted to make sure that everybody dealt with their issues um, in a very professional way. Now, the syndicate was um, inter- uh, it was consisted of closely interconnected Italian American mafia as well as the Jewish mob. Mm-hmm. Now, n- May of 1929 in Atlantic City, what they had hosted was underworld figures in the U.S., including it's coconut getting comfortable okay. per usual coconut making her <laughs> appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Look at her eyes at that. Yeah. <laughs> So, in the U.S., including Torrio, Lucky Luciano, Mm, mm -hmm. Al Capone, Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, Frank Costello, Joe Adonis, Dutch Soltz, Abner, Longy Swillman, um, Vincent Magano, uh, Frank Erickson, Frank Scalis, and uh, Albert the Mad Hatter, Anastasia, mainly active in, of course, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, California, Nevada, and Florida. Yeah. So he was the first official official boss of the monitored Genovese crime family. Their gross income per year back then 
12 million. I didn't do the math for that one. That's a lot. Uh, per year. That's still a lot. Per year, yes. Well, Capone was 100 million a year. Now, this crime so family imagine. existed from 1916 to 1936. Keep in mind, that's one mob family. Yeah. He also had the syndicate from 1929 to 1960. So that was, those, those are two businesses right there. Yeah. Okay. Now, Luciano was arrested 25 times, including charges on assault, illegal gambling, blackmail, robbery. He spent no time in prison. There was only one instance that he did spend time. I didn't get that, write it down, but it was during his adolescence age where it only lasted less than a year. Um, And even then, it's like you're in kid jail. Right, right. So So, uh, during the same time period, during Prohibition, he did sell liquor. They had the brothels and all that stuff. But he was willing to work with the Italians, the Jewish, and the Irish, amongst other families. Crime mobs, you only suck with your blood. And you had to be from the mother country in order to be official. If you were from them, you were more American. You weren't really blood related, so you weren't really involved in any of those. You were more of the soldiers- Versus that's, being a lieutenant. That's what Capone se- was. Second tier. Yeah. Because Torrio was the leader. Yeah. And Capone worked under him, but mm-hmm. he still knew how to, you know, do things under Torrio. So Luciano focused on improving criminal gangs. And what that meant was having the organizing crime, um, managing the disputes amongst crimes, establishing guidelines between operations and making sure that uh, around 1928, Joe the Boss, Messiera and Salvatore Maranzano, these were the two main ones in New York City that kept bashing. Uh-huh. Uh, he worked for one, which was Salvatore Maranzano family. Messiera had reached out to see if he wanted to take part of his he declined and of course was beaten up from that gang later on Mm -hmm. he actually had there were connections that he arranged for Messier's killing through uh, Maranzano so what happened was he had his Jewish friends come in at the time they were having a luncheon he told Mm. his boss he'd be right back going to the Mm -hmm. bathroom and these people came in boop done then became lieutenant on Marazano's uh, boss That's family. That's crazy. It's mm-hmm. just like, let me kill the person's yeah. position that I want. <laughs> he did have a lazy eye in one of his eyes. So this even made him more of a harder look to look at. But with the documentaries that I did listen to, the women made it seem like he was more of, he could catch a woman's eye and he was very much a womanizer. He oh, did get okay. married once. There was a woman that he married in Sicily um, and was married for about five years to her, but she died due to oh. cancer. Yeah. Oh, that's No sad. kids, yeah. But every time he made an appearance somewhere, he did have someone with him. Okay. Okay. So it didn't even matter? In the 1930s, Luciano lived in a luxurious New York uh, condo. It was Apartment. in the Waldorf Towers. Yeah, Towers. I'm pretty, sure. I'm pretty sure it was a condo, but I think everybody... I don't know. I'm just... I'm speaking out of line here, but I feel like everybody in New York calls them apartments right? either way. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so he was estimated to make as a taxpayer twenty two thousand per year. Uh, but when right. a prosecutor happened to see him staying at the Waldorf Tower, he didn't get his name. Yeah, the Waldorf. He investigated him. Yeah, and how could you afford when that was three hundred and forty two billion at this time? Whoa! So he was eventually arrested because of. Him being interviewed during court saying, okay, well, how do you live a luxurious lifestyle if Mm -hmm. you can't even make it with your 22K? So arrested and sentenced during World War II and this time period, they needed intelligence in Italy. So in order for Luciano to be an impactful U.S. citizen, 
They gave him a, a deal in order for him to use his connections in Italy. He needed to find out who's controlling the waterfront in Sicily. Since he followed through in his uh He did his demand, job. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. The last part of this whole promise was he could not fight the deportation back home to the mother. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, um, after they released him in 1946, he was supposed to be deported to Sicily. Mm-hmm. But before being deported to Sicily, he went about himself and fled to Cuba. Oh, before snap! Fidel. Yes. He went to Cuba? Yes. Now, with his... One of his um, didn't see that coming at all. Partners, Meyer Lansky, they were buddies. Um, They built a high-end hotel bigger than the hotel casinos that we had in Nevada back then, the Flamingo. Dang, out there gambling, all that stuff. Um, It looked like that um, he met Frank Sinatra in Cuba. Yes, what? So that was one of his celebrities. Why is Frank Sinatra in Cuba? I have no idea. I got to look up why Frank Sinatra high end. Now, pressure from the U.S. knowing that he did flee to Cuba, they threatened the Cuban government banning the American medicines to go into their country. So two weeks later, the Cuban government did oh. deport him to Italy. Oh, wow. Yeah, so okay. he stayed in Sicily, met this ballerina wife, was married for a few years. He would attend um, bases from the military because he tried as much as he could to go back to the u.s but it was always declined yeah so the because once he's out yeah they were like yeah the navy man anybody that would come into sicily he would go to this restaurant or wherever they were stationed literally sign his autograph to them these military men to just have them talk about back home and he wanted to have friends that were from new york who had the new york accent or just to bring him back yes he plotting. was very much involved in the um, narcotic business. So, of course, utilizing the casino that they had in Cuba, when Fidel Castro came into play, he shut that down. So that was one of his pipelines that shut down. So he was still making money, even though he was in the penitentiary. He actually, in one <laughs> of his prisons bananas. that he stayed, I think it was called Ossing in New York, um, he built their very own standalone cathedral, or not cathedral, church. On the prison base, yes. What? Yes. All him. Wow. So anyway, 1962, we're going to fast forward. He died. um, And this was at a Naples airport through... He suffered a heart attack. He was supposed to meet because after Fidel Castro shut it down, Uh another way for him to stay connected to the U.S. was they were going to do a biography on him. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he did pass at the the airport. That would have been good because you would have got it from his point of view, his words. Mm -hmm. Dang. Mm -hmm. That sucks. A heart attack? Yeah. I think Al Capone died of a heart attack. But they did work. So both of them did work together. Where did I see it? I don't know if I touched on it a little bit. But his heart attack was from syphilis. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But either way, heart attack. Okay, so during the bootlegging time. So when Al Capone was doing it in Chicago, he was doing it in New York. In New York. Yeah. Okay. I know. I always wondered, like you were saying, I think... Five Points Gang, that's what it was. I think the reason why Capone wasn't like a mob boss, I mean, he was still a boss in my opinion. Yeah. But it's because he was not born in Italy. And he wasn't even like doing things in New York. He was doing things in Chicago. Anybody who came from the motherland, you were grandfathered in. There was no hesitation whatsoever. You spoke the language. Yeah. If you were from the same small town they originated from or they were from the original bosses were in the hierarchy... 
We were in. Nothing. You had to do nothing. It was gravy. You had money. Mm-hmm. You had a job. And just like Capone, very well dressed in this organized crime, you needed to be presentable and have your foot in every opportunity that was available to you. So then your money was dispersed evenly. There it's was no question. Definitely status. Yeah. Like they had to show their status somehow. Because they all had money. And the girls would always, or the women would say, when he would walk into the room, you you were immediately drawn to this person. Well, yeah, money, suits, dressed up, entourage. Heck yeah, I can imagine seeing a bunch of suits walk into a restaurant. Mm -hmm. I think everybody would be like, who are these guys? The woman was saying, I feared for danger, but I was also drawn sexually. Please, lady, <laughs> and back then, I think good. you could carry guns, no problem. Like it Probably. was like it to be hidden. I don't know. Yeah, mm. we don't know history. <laughs> anyway, that's a little bit of what we had from our mob boss slash mob topic. bosses, gangsters. Oh. They did a lot of crime. This was kind of true crime. So this is just the beginning of the mob boss series. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna do it again next week because that's. We like to keep it interesting. Obviously, we're talking about gangsters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of true crime, kind of not. Us some, uh, <laughs> oh, and we'll also also research the Al Capone car in Prim. See if oh, it's still there. Yes, even though oh, we well, can't go there. That's what I was just gonna say. It's okay. We'll put it on a list. We have yes. a very long list of places we're gonna go to right now. <laughs> but you can imagine how many things you can do after realizing you have to be at home. That's the worst thing when somebody tells you not to do something. That's like you're my like, sure, I could be at home, watch TV, and then you're like, so an hour later, what do we do? I want to go to the mall. Yeah. Let's go out to eat. Let's go, Let's go do something. And then it's like, wait, I can't. Nope. <laughs> not allowed. Wash your hands. Happy birthday two times. Happy birthday two times. The ABCs and Happy birthday two times is at least 40 minutes. 40 seconds. 40 minutes? Oh, <laughs> Happy birthday are you singing? <laughs> in English and Spanish. <laughs> I only know a couple words in Spanish, not that much. Feliz cumpleaños. No. <laughs> That's not even how it goes. Mañanitas. Well, las mañanitas. I love that song. I could listen to that. Every day. I think that's the birthday song. Vicente or Alejandro? Vicente Fernandez. It's Vicente, but... I'm pretty sure Alejandro will sing it too. I think every Mexican singer sings it. I'm going to just stop right there before my Spanish card gets taken away. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Oh, my tongue is kind of red. I was eating Skittles. Because that's a staple food you need on lockdown is Skittles. Oh. It's so weird. I don't usually buy candy anymore. And ever since we've been on like our little lockdown, I'm like, damn, I really want a Twix. I'm gonna go to 7-Eleven and get a Twix. <laughs> Trader Joe's. I was all, so where is your toffee pretzels? So we got seasonal. Now. I'm like, shoot. No pretzel for you. Yep. No toffee. <laughs> but we have chocolate hummus. Yes. Oh my god, yes. put them on that chocolate hummus. Mm-hmm. Nicole found chocolate go to hummus. Trader Joe's. Get yourself some chocolate hummus with some wafers. <laughs> Done. Done. Mm-hmm. This one will finish the whole container. Having one conversation with her and the whole time she's just dipping and eating. I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. I'm listening. We're on episode... 24. Hey. Yay. Almost to 25. Look Almost a that. quarter. Mm-hmm. Ooh, what are we going to do for our quarter episode? Nothing because we're all stuck inside. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be our... 
a rant episode. It is going to be a rant. Mm -hmm. Unless we, I was thinking of going live and ranting because I really don't want a recorded rant on our feed (laughs) on podcast. If we record live, can they watch it later? Yeah, they can. Okay. On our YouTube channel, we can record live. It'll still be there for you guys to watch. It just won't be an episode on the podcast. I don't know. We'll see how it goes because I don't want too much negativity like on our podcast feed because I don't want people to, I don't know. We hear so much about this quarantine and virus. We want love. We want support. We want everybody to know that we're here for you. You're here for us. Mm -hmm. Send us your stories. Yeah. If you want to join, we got time. <laughs> we got we can time right now. Dial you in some way. Yeah, we can pop you up on a screen right here Share in the your middle. Story. I know this how to way. use Discord. Mm-hmm. I used it for the first time the other day. Once you're live on our podcast, you're going to tell your family. And your family's going to tell their family. And then you'll forever be known as a Here's, guest on our show. Yep. <laughs> And we'll give a shout out. Mm-hmm. We'll tag you. You know, all the things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we got time, guys. Mm-hmm. We got time. How many more days do we have? Infinity. I don't even know anymore. I don't know. I don't know what countdown we're on. I don't know if we're supposed to be on the president's countdown, which I think 15 days is up next week. I don't know if we're supposed to be on the 30-day countdown that Sisolak put on us a week ago. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I wish there was like a, I don't know, somebody to tell me when this is all over. Well, you know, all the signs in the casino say Vegas strong then and now. Then and now. We are still strong. We're strong yes, from home. But when were we not now? I don't know. It should be then and forever or something, not then and, and now. Then and now. Mm-hmm. Maybe because we're supposed to be focused on the now and not Make the, sure you wash your hands. Later. 20 seconds, please. Two happy birthdays. <laughs> so this is it for Mobsters for this week. We done, yo. Just for this week on Mobsters. We're going to come back with something haunted next week so you guys can be scared in your houses. <laughs> yes. You can run upstairs or downstairs or just through the hallway with the light off. On and off, on and off, on and off. Unless you have a studio, then you just run in a circle. Yeah. One bedroom. It's okay. As long as you can run. Mm-hmm. This wraps up this episode. Subscribe to Las Brujas and Friends podcast. Make sure to follow us. On Instagram at Las Brujas Podcast and on Twitter at Brujas Podcast. We would love to hear from you. Any feedback, suggestions, or personal testimonials that confirm these stories, we would love to read them. A question for you. Would you ever want to be a gangsta? Because I would. Yeah. <laughs> Listen up all nice and fancy. Like ruling your city? Ooh. Heck yeah. Okay. Anyways. Join us next week. We post <laughs> every Friday. Bye. Bye.